If love is such a universal good, then why does it inspire such cruelty? Welcome, my mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also the host of this podcast, who dives deep into the books that we're reading to look at uh, some of the reviews, some of the themes, some of the deep stuff that we can get out of it. And today we have Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert. Uh, the French author. So this was published in 1856 originally. So what's that? That's a century and a bit, <laughs> almost getting close to two centuries. And it's about 300 pages in length. So it's not a super, super thick book. It's the provincial tale set in, I'm going to pronounce some names wrong here, Rouen, Rouen, R-O-U-E-N, France during the 19th century. So the same time that this book was published. And we are privy to the intimate affairs of Emma who is also known as Madame Bovary. And basically, the book starts off uh, looking at her husband's life, uh, actually. So, Charles Bovary, um, it, it grows up with his sort of living, his sort of insipid, not uh, amazing life. But, you know, he's a, he's a regular guy, I guess you'd say. Uh, and he has some, you know, heartbreaks. He, has, he marries a, a lady, she dies, and he's a widow. And he ends up marrying uh, Emma, who is a the daughter of a farmer. And basically then we, we start to see her marriage with him, her sort of uh, the contrast between her love um, for him and his love for her. And so her love is, is kind of disillusioned. She, she um, isn't particularly enjoying it, whereas he thinks he has like, wow, this is the best life ever. This is amazing. And we sort of see these two contrasts and this begins a downward spiral for her. And uh, with some brief highs, so she um, has some, uh, I wouldn't say high profile affairs, but she has a an, an affair or two um, outside of her marriage. Um, and it ends with a, a relatively sad ending, which I, I won't spoil here. Now, this touching upon the author and, and the work itself, it was somewhat controversial and very influential at the time. So, it was, it was somewhat of a, uh, a groundbreaking literary uh, style, literary realism was what it was called by uh, Gustave Flaubert. He was a pretty prolific author. He wrote quite a few things. And the book itself was scandalous at the time, uh, but also recognized as being brilliant. And after, I believe there was a court case or something like that, and he got free reign to, to publish the work and for it to be produced en masse, uh, it was it was highly accepted and and very well known and the even to this day it's somewhat acclaimed as being uh, unique for its uh, its style and I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit uh, in terms of the scandalous nature <laughs> nowadays it's pretty tame there's nothing too much scandalous about it but uh, you can imagine somewhat at the time why this might have been and we'll go on to the first theme that I took out of this which was blind desire the cause of ec ecstasy. Uh, and immense suffering as well. And I wanted to approach this topic by looking at a relatively simple question. What is love? <laughs> okay, so it's not so simple. But uh, what is love for for Madame Bovary and, and also for Charles? And for her, it's somewhat triggered by her imagination. So we learn earlier in the book, uh, she used to be in a convent and she would read these, uh, you know, love tales that were sort of secretly smuggled in uh, that the nuns didn't know about. And these caused, you know, powerful fantasies and imaginations for her. She was very, uh, had a very vivid mind of, of what love should be like and what love should be like for her as well. 
And so uh, she she somewhat creates this uh, this fantasy that just it's it's probably never going to be fulfilled to be honest. And there's one scene in particular where she's uh, I think. Uh, somewhat having her affairs but they're not going particularly swimmingly well her her life at home she she detests and hates and she has this scene where she imagines the perfect lover in her head and it's very it's not concrete it's sort of this amalgamation of all of these things that she thinks she'd like you know a powerful man but not too powerful you know he he should be handsome but uh, also only for her you know she's the only one for him and it's it's somewhat blurry it's not it's not a concrete vision of of what she wants and i think this starts to get into okay like why what what is she really thinking about in her head what has she really inspected what she wants and it's almost like there's not really that much introspection on her part um and nor nor i suppose like the tampering down of 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 what is actually realistic what can be achieved in in this you know world that we live in and so for her it's all pretty much externally driven in terms of her love and her happiness you can see there's this external locus of control so there's no ability for her to to change her own internal mindset to adjust to her situation no it's always like this person has to do this for me or this event is happening and she will, uh, you know, get into debt and, and just sort of brush it off and be like, oh, that's, you know, that's another person's problem. I, it, it's not me caused by me and my prolific sp- spending and my, you know, my being uh, manipulated by this uh, merchant who was selling me these things and saying, oh, just get a promissory note, you know, just put yourself in a little bit of debt. It's fine. You'll, you'll pay it off eventually. No, it's, um, it's, it's always someone else's problem somewhat. She, she doesn't take responsibility for her own actions. So it's very ex- extremely selfish. <laughs> and you can imagine that it's very hard to make herself happy. So there is no internal locus of control of being like, oh, I'm going to look inwards. Okay, maybe I don't particularly love my husband. Maybe, you know, this child that I have, I don't feel a particular love for. But what what are the small joys in life that I could focus on? How can I make myself happy given the constraints of the world I live in? So she doesn't do much of that, um, and uh, neither neither does Charles, uh, to be honest. But we'll we'll look at his in a in a little bit. Uh, now there's not too much time. Uh, oh, sorry, there's there's too much time and uh, not enough distractions, perhaps. So this is perhaps looking at a situation and going, you know, was this sort of uh, blind desire was this um, I guess the the cause of her ecstasy and immense suffering caused by the fact by her imaginations by her fantasies and you can see that in the lifestyle that she leads there's there's not really a whole lot for her to do she's got what I would call a a middle-class husband he's he's a doctor but he's not a famous doctor um, and they they live in somewhat the I, I guess you'd say the outer suburbs of of France, like in the countryside. Um, and you can see that she's they're wealthy enough to have a maid, so she doesn't particularly need to do the cleaning around the house. She really wants for nothing apart from that which she she can't have, which is immense riches and a, a palace and. Uh, you know, fawning uh, adoration and jewels and and whatnot. She gets a taste of this once in the book, where she visits it, visits the this wealthy uh, estate owner, um, I believe, and he 
who who invite her and they go to this grand ball and they stay overnight and they stay in a mansion and she gets a taste of all of this but she cannot realize this for herself there's there's no way of this actually ever happening and you can just see you know in her time in the convent she spent a lot of time just idling around doing nothing and this you know was where she started to get her fantasies uh, when she was at home under her father's uh, control and and working in the farm once again she she had work to do but it wasn't it wasn't fulfilling it wasn't something that was a passion for her or in her life or something when she marries charles once again she's this sort of domestic housewife she just has too much time almost perhaps and this is where you start to think oh okay maybe this is somewhat the cause of of her unhappiness it's just she has nothing to do you know there's if if you have absolutely nothing to do and no passion then you're kind of screwed and you will create passions for yourself and these might not be the the best of of passions so there's many what ifs as well that that sort of come out of this and you go okay um what if her blind desires could have been fulfilled what if uh, she had been courted by the viscount for example who was this wealthy guy she she met at at this grand gala this ball and what if he'd courted her and taken her away what if uh, she'd run away with Rodolphe, which was one of her lovers and who had, had promised her this this life and then pulled out at the last minute. What if she had, um, you know, just gone with Leon as well, example, or, or you know, he, he had behaved in the way that she thought a lover should behave. And this is where I start to think, oh, okay, you know, she might have had brief glimpses, maybe a year of happiness again, but it seemed like she would always be become discontented. It seemed like there was no way for her to achieve a, a stability in her life of of happiness and of of her love to continue at the same intensity. Uh, sort of like the the story of Icarus. She you know she flew too close to the sun. She she experienced that high that joy got taken away, and this was would always inevitably lead to to her downfall, perhaps. Now, the other theme which I want to jump, jump onto is ignorant contentment. And so this is not a solid base for a, for a good or good or even a great life. And if we look at Charles, who is somewhat her opposite in many ways, he seems to have a really even temperament. He also seems to um, be, be relatively ignorant of what's really going on in his wife's mind in, in, inside of her because we see in in the book that she's very severely discontented she has these fits she you know there's times where she can't stand him and she has to run out of the room or abuses him verbally and things like this and he's sort of the the buffoon just going oh but you know i just want to please her i just want to do everything i can to her which is you know somewhat noble in a way you could say he's got a great heart but unfortunately he doesn't have the the mind to to back it up and to be able to change um, with a situation. So he's got a simple love, but he's very unaware. Uh, you know, he didn't want much when he married her for the first time. He was content. He was happy. He had a, a, a somewhat not thriving, but a solid, you know, clientele for his, for his um, uh, medical work, which he would go out to their estates and help them out uh, and to their, their villages or whatnot. He had a you know a nice little house, a nice little wife, a nice little life, uh, but there was no great ambitions, and it seemed like she wanted this for him, but he he would never be able to do this for himself. 
and and she hates him for it and it just grows and grows and grows and grows and he is somewhat unaware of this and it almost seemed like both of them lack understanding in a way this is sort of the common theme i guess i'd take out of this which is the blind desire and ignorant ignorant contentment um it's it's the lack of communication you know neither of them expressed to the other what they were feeling what they were um, thinking about what their internal motivations were neither of them particularly cared for the other from what i could tell charles didn't care enough for her to to really investigate why she was unhappy it was sort of just be she's unhappy uh maybe i should take her for a trip somewhere maybe i should do this like he didn't bother to to really try and get to the the intimate details and and figure it out and they they both just lacked understanding of each other and and of her so uh i i think he understood himself well enough you know because there was not much to understand he was a relatively simple character but she was immensely complex with these you know, huge highs, these burning desires, these ambitions. And maybe if he'd spent the time to really figure this out, either before the marriage or even after it, uh, the the sad ending that occurs um, where the sort of both of them come to wreck to ruin and their family uh, and their daughter uh, comes to wreck and ruin as well. Maybe all of that could have been avoided perhaps. So, those are the couple of themes that I really took away from this book. Uh, some observations and takeaways. I would wonder if that the diagnosis of, of bipolar disorder had been around in that time, whether she would have been diagnosed with that because she just seemed to have this, uh, it, it seemed to me to, to have some of the characteristics of that, which is, you know, immense highs, the immense lows, the... Um, the eventual uh, spoilers here, the eventual suicide that she uh, commits upon herself. This is pretty characteristic of, of people with bipolar, um, sadly enough. And yeah, it's it's just intriguing to go like, hmm, would this tale have happened in the modern day? Because perhaps she would have you know, been able to take lithium, for example, and this could have dampened down some of the, uh, the, the wildness that, that was definitely within her. Funnily enough, um, reading the book as well as just the people in general, everyone seemed nice enough on the surface. But uh, when you you find the final outcomes out out of how everyone does, it, it's it's almost like man, they're not particularly <laughs> pleasant deep down. Like all of them seem to have a little bit of conniving in them. The the pharmacist, for example, who's who's uh, helping them out, but you know secretly in competition and and somewhat destroys charles's reputation by convincing him to do this dangerous surgery on a on a man who has uh, a club foot there's the the merchant who i already talked about who was uh, manipulating uh emma madame bovary into into buying stuff she didn't need putting her into debt unnecessarily uh, her both of her lovers somewhat rodolph from the very get-go uh, was manipulating her and not being true ab- about his love for her which was more lust than anything else and uh, even leon for example when it when push came to shove like wasn't willing to help her out a probably good decision he was probably actually the most uh, somewhat normal and well put together character of the of the whole book and it's it's funny to uh, just look at this and look at the 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 personalities that they had and the uh, the, it was relatively simple and i'd actually contrast this with a book like the idiot where 
there was probably a you know similar amount of characters, uh, even though it was a much shorter book. Uh, but but the characters were much more easy to remember, and they didn't intrude in upon at different times. The the flow of them, you could they were a bit more distinct in a way almost. Um, whereas uh, the that those in the idiot would just be like, oh, geez, which which character is this popping up now? Um, perhaps that has to do with the naming system, which is very hard in Russian. And the finally, and the uh, the other factor could just be the the style. So the style in this book is. Uh, is I would say truly unique. You know what? I, I've I've read a fair few books, but this is probably one that sticks out for its. Uh, I, I'm going to say small de- details that give depth. So we talked about how this was one of the first of literary realism, and it really did feel like that. It it felt like this was what perhaps even a reporter would have been like at the time, saying, "Okay, the fair, for example." There's a an annual fair which has to do with the the produce and sort of the agricultural farmers and things like this, and as he's describing it, he gives just you know immense details of the the tiny little touches. So someone coughs here um, when the when someone is speaking uh, and to the audience, the the way the soldiers and the sort of mishazard mishazard uh, you know sloppiness of the provincial farmers who are you know acting like soldiers for example and all of these tiny little details which uh, occurs all all throughout the book in every single scene it's not straight communication it's you know the he really fleshes out almost everything now this can go wrong you can have overly detailed and it and it gets boring and it's like oh geez how does you know i don't care about the 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 minutiae of the caterpillars on the on the trees eating the leaves and what's going on internally in the caterpillar's mind, <laughs> uh, but uh, and which doesn't occur in this book, by the way, just an example. But this one, I think, captures that right blend of moving the plot forward and and uh, having the characters interact with each other, but also building the scene, the setting that it was all created in, and and uh, what life would have felt like in the nineteenth century provincial fronts so very very cool I, I i i can see why this book is acclaimed for for having this this sort of uniqueness to it so i'm going to go on to the summary and uh, i'll just say woman and love can combine for some tragedy uh, the the depth to the potential relationships and and not looking at uh, one sources of happiness i think is what i really took out from this book the style is unique and definitely memorable for for this alone, just just uh, the the way that he describes the scenery and the the interactions of the people, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was uh, very cool. I wouldn't say I was captivated by the people or the the plot line. For example, it is you know relatively simple. A, a, a woman has a, a two affairs, um, and her oblivious husband is is somewhat. Uh, you know, take taken aback by this right at the very end when he learns about this. So it's, it's there's not too much drama, for example. There's no uh, real conflict in the in the novel. It all sort of just peters out right towards the end, the last uh, the last thirty pages or so. Um, so I didn't captivate captivate me for this, but I did recognize uh, a great book for for what it is. Very very solid. So overall, I'm going to give Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert a seven out of ten. Very solid, very solid book. And that is it for today, my mere mortal eyes. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Madame Bovary and Gustave Flaubert? Have you read any French literature of from the 19th century? Have you? 
uh, dove deep into the world of affairs and, and things. What do you think of the style, the literary realism? I would love to know all of these things. Best way to do that is to send it via a Boostergram. So Boostergram is a message with a payment of Satoshis attached to it. I read these out always at the end of month book recap. And uh, it's just a way for you to support the show. This is a value for value show. So um, I really do appreciate uh, and need, I suppose, your support to to help continue this show going on. It is uh, uh, a, a passion project, but it, it does you know, have hosting costs and all those sorts of things. So it would be amazing if uh, you got any value out of this, if you got uh, you know used it for a homework assignment or anything like that. Um, I, I would really appreciate if you, you showed some of that value back. So I've already told you how to, to do that. And um, yeah, looking forward to, to your responses, comments. And I really do hope you're having a fun provincial day, maybe wherever you are in the world. Karen out.